0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is just a friendly reminder to make sure that you are registered to vote for the upcoming elections this November. Please text the word voter to 26797 to check your registration. You will also receive reminders for all local, state, and federal elections and your polling locations. And don't forget to follow I Am a Voter for more civic engagement opportunities. That's voter to 26797.
1: For me, it was about, you know, I don't get a lot of mileage out of looking down on nobody. I don't get a lot of mileage out of burning bridges with people. I don't get a lot of mileage out of being like, aren't I great? To me, it was more about, okay, I've gained some weight. How can I throw it around? Right. And I think that to me was really important. It was about, how can I help others? How can I build? And I really sort of wanted the freedom to just try some shit.
2: Hi, this is Deborah Messing. I'm an actress and social justice advocate. I am Mondana
0: Dayani, creator and co-founder of the nonpartisan movement, I Am A Voter.
2: So Mondana and I are best friends and activism is a huge part of our lives and who we are. We're constantly inspired by the incredible work people are doing every day, all over the world. And then one day we realized something. Most of these people had no intention of becoming heroes. They're just accidental activists who knew something was not okay, and chose to do something about it. In this podcast, we share the journeys of 20 of these dissenters who blew us away. Based on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's iconic I dissent slogan, a dissenter is someone who stood up to an injustice or challenged the status quo, someone who fought to build a better way.
0: This week, we speak with the one and only Lena Waith. Lena is a writer, creator, producer, and actor, and the first Black woman to win the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series for writing the Thanksgiving episode on Masters of None. She's also the creator of the Showtime drama series The Shy, Boomerang, and Twenties, and wrote and produced the crime film Queen and Slim. She also appeared in Steven Spielberg's film Ready Player One and on the HBO series Westworld.
2: In addition to her television and film credits, Lena developed her own production company, Hillman Grad Productions, that goes against the status quo to give marginalized storytellers the chance to let their voices be heard. The company goes above and beyond to provide a platform and fellowship for these diverse voices on the rise through a mentorship program. This initiative paves the way for talent lacking inclusivity and access to make their own protest art and create names for themselves within the entertainment industry. The network of mentees and alums is constantly expanding and to date includes roughly 600 actors, 120 writer-directors, and 30 producers.
0: It is so rare to speak with someone as talented and successful as Lena, who is still as in love with the art of what she does as the day she started. This conversation is so real and so raw. You could just feel Lena's passion oozing out of her from the minute she started speaking. And learning the hustle, passion, and commitment it took to get here is just so inspiring. She's so cool and so funny and so humble, and we just can't
2: wait for you to listen. And now, it is our greatest honor to introduce you to the amazing dissenter, Lena Waith, the truth teller. Hello, Lena Waithe. Oh, my God. We're so excited to have you here.
0: You're so much cooler than we are. That's all we've been talking about. So it's all
1: (laughs) all day. That's it. No, impossible.
0: (laughs) Well, so we love to start at the beginning. Okay. You have spoken a lot about how TV was like a third parent to you and was such a big part of your life. Can you just tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up all over Chicago and what it was that really connected you with the screen?
1: You know, being from Chicago is like such a huge part of who I am. Chicago is such a very specific city, you know, it's, and I grew up, you know, I'm a nineties kid and I'm very Mm -hmm. grateful for that a lot because, you know, it was still, I think the golden age of television in a way. It was a new age. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and there were, there were a lot of black TV shows actually that I could see myself in. Very, very cookie cutter, very clean, very, you know, digestible Black people. Yeah. That's what I <laughs> like to say. Um, and, but my grandmother, I lived in the house of my grandmother. I lived in the, we were like old school. My mom literally raised me in the house that she grew up in with her mom's generation. Wow. So it was like my grandmother, my mom, and me and my sister. So my grandmother, who I spent a lot of time with, you know, watched old TV. So she yeah. would watch stuff like, you know, she loved old Perry Mason. She loved... Uh, watching All in the Family and like Good Times, stuff like that. So I got to watch TV with her. So I got to have a love for old TV as well. Mm -hmm. And I would always pay attention to that. And and then I then later developed an appreciation for old TV (laughs) as a kid. So I used to watch Nick at Night. I used to love watching the Dick Van Dyke show. and, uh, And then later discovered the Mary Tyler Moore show, which had a huge impact on me. I have MTM. No
0: way! Shut up! Shut up! The little
1: cat, like, and so that show really, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do a documentary about Mary Tyler Moore. So, you know, um, which I'd love to interview, you know, you, Deborah, and interview like every like myriad of like actress that followed. You know, I just learned a lot about dynamics and about TV, and I really did study. I didn't even realize that's what I was doing as a kid because I like going outside and play. But my family, but they would always be like, can you go outside sometimes? <laughs> because you're like <laughs> always inside watching TV. But I really was fascinated by it. And I also loved how it brought us together as a family. Like we rarely, we would always be running around, but nothing brought us together like Thursday night, NBC, which ultimately then would change, you know, later. So, right. you know, it went from Cosby show and different world to which would be Will and Grace and friends. And that, that block was so important. And that's the TV I learned, you know, like multicam, like quick, fast, laugh track. And then when I moved to LA, Tina Fey kind of came in and changed everything. Oh, <laughs> so then I had yes. to relearn, you know, because I did. I studied Will and Grace. I, I consider Will and Grace yeah. to be one of the great, like the greats, the great TV show. I mean, like Jimmy Burrows, like come on, it's iconic. It's like we studied that, and I remember studying watching Friends as well. Like I would listen to the commentary. I listened to the writers talking about how they came up with story and all that kind of stuff. Like as a kid, that's what I'm doing in Chicago, like with DVDs and shit, like taking I used <laughs> to work at Blockbuster. So i will just be like studying it.
2: Let's go back. So you knew when you were seven years old that you wanted to be a TV
1: writer. I wanted to be a television writer.
2: Which is extraordinary (laughs) because most seven-year-olds want to be like a veterinarian or an astronaut. And you had already narrowed it down to the craft of writing specifically for television.
1: Yeah. And specifically half hour. That was really my thing. Like, you know, a different world. Hillman Grab Productions, which is like, you know, that's where I got my production company. Hillman. Uh, colleges where that was the fictitious HBCU that they attended yeah uh, a different world really changed my life even more so than the Cosby show because it was young hip people even like today I look like Dwayne Dwayne Wayne like I mean it's like from the hat to the door it's like it was such a it was like what is this you know and and then we're talking about issues and so yes. that really yes. helped define my voice um but then again like I said when I later watched I stayed at the NBC party, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then the big thing I learned from Jimmy Burrows, he was like, I don't, when he would do rehearsals, he would listen to it. And that's what yes. I remember reading. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's what I got. I got to listen. The me- it was like music. music. It was music to him. Yeah. And once I, and once I figured that out, it was, again, it's like all these influences. It's like, I really kind of picked it up and paid attention to what, and then it was about what, what do I want my voice to sound like? Right. And that's a lifelong journey.
2: We're going to take a quick break from today's episode to hear from one of our brand partners, Rory. Rory is a digital health clinic for women. Rory is the sister brand of Roman. And like Roman, they make it simple to connect with a healthcare professional online from the comfort of your own home, where you can see if personalized prescription skincare treatment is right for you. Taking care of my skin is so important to me, whether you're worried about dullness or redness, fine lines, or acne, trying to find the right treatment can be frustrating. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare. It's so easy. With Rory, you don't even have to go to the pharmacy. Your custom skincare is delivered right to you with free two-day shipping. Go on your phone or computer, complete a free online consultation and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. You can also follow up with a healthcare professional anytime if you need to make a change to your treatment or have any questions. They're with you every step of the way on your skincare journey. And with Rory, there are no commitments, so you can cancel anytime. So try it. Go to slash dissenters to try out nightly defense for just $5. It's free to chat with the doctor, and your first order is only $5. That's hellorory.com at dissenters. That's D-I-S-S-E-N-T-E-R-S. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. So you went after high school, you went to college I went to in Columbia Chicago. College in Chicago
1: mm-hmm. and studied writing and producing and television. You studied
2: it. So, you know, you went right into it and you had this incredibly influential professor, Michael Fry. Yes, Michael Who Fry. was encouraged you to get out to L.A. where you, yeah, spent, you spent your last semester of uh, college there and then you never left.
1: True. Like he he ended the reason why he was a big deal at Columbia College because he had actually written on like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh. So it was like, oh, this motherfucker wow. actually has done this <laughs> thing. Like, I got to get in this class. And he only had so many slides because you know how it is. It's like, they don't want to yeah. read a gang of, like, bad scripts. So, I had to like yeah. hurry up and make sure my my fee was paid that year so I could hurry up and register. It was like a whole thing. So like I got in his class and it was great. It was amazing and I was just like in it. He was just like, okay, you are really here for this. And we had the whole. You have to write a a script. Um, just write a spec script for those that don't know. It's like as yes. as if you're on a you know the staff of the show. And funny enough, the, the spec I wrote was so cliche. The girlfriend spec, which by the way, like later. Um, yeah. My God. Oh, we're getting there. You yeah, would tell we're me like, don't there. do that. But. Anyway, he was like, but yeah, and I wrote a girlfriend spec, and he was like, I don't really hand out A's like that, so don't be mad, don't come up to me. Sure enough, he gave me an A, and then he like shook my hand and he gave me a wink. He's like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, go to LA, and I was like, okay.
2: And you were you were out. <laughs> I
1: went, and I ended up getting an assistant gig on girlfriends, which is like classic.
2: That's so crazy. We're getting there. So you show up, and you you know you got a job at Blockbuster. You got I transferred you know, my Buy. job from
1: Blockbuster in Chicago <laughs> to Los Angeles. Like that's who I was. I was like, I'm gonna keep this gig. <laughs> you got to be able to pay
2: the rent, yep. and uh, and your first job was assisting Mara Brock yeah, Roth- yeah. Akil, who was the executive producer of Girl- Girlfriend and
1: creator. Yeah,
2: and <laughs> and the yeah. creator of yeah, it. Yeah, And you also worked for Ava DuVernay. Yeah, I was a PA on her first movie. Yeah. So you came to Los Angeles, and your first jobs, you are working for these incredibly strong. Black women in positions of power. Mm-hmm. So fresh from from college, did that give you hope? Did that make you feel like your journey would be easier because you were, you know, standing next to these Black women who were, who were doing it and thriving and being celebrated?
1: Well, it's interesting. I definitely remember Mike Fry, before I moved out to LA, he was like, go find Black Hollywood. That'll hold you and keep you. He's like, that, that's mm-hmm. like a, a real, let's a, it's a family, it's a community, it's a real thing. And then at the time it was even smaller, you know? It was super small. Cause yeah. it was just, You know, yeah. it was only a handful of folks. And, and Black Hollywood still is very much in existence, but it's expanded a little bit more. We get a little more success. And so it's like, you know, we spread the love a little bit more. But at the time I was like, okay, cool. And when I landed on that Radford lot, you know, where it was literally uh, girlfriends and the game, their stages were right next to each other. Like Mara was like, and I remember I went to a taping. Of the game. And I was like, I'm going to work for her one day. And and that's wow. why it's, like, it's so much about manifestation and just really focusing your energy. But, you know, and now me and Mara are cool. Like, we'll have breakfast. Like, we'll talk. You know, it's like crazy to me. You know, um, but yeah, I remember thinking, oh, OK, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be the best and I'm going to get staff." And they also come from a time where it's like, if you want something, you better go out there and get it. Like, you can be my assistant and we gonna, I'm going to help you. We're going to talk to you. But it wasn't any handouts. So Mara at the time was focusing on the new show, The Game. And Regina Hicks and Mark Brown were show running the show and they needed a new assistant. Okay. Their assistant wanted to go be a bartender at Ackbar not fucking with you. And so they were like, so he was like, that's what I want to go do. And so they were like, we need new no assistant. And so I was, you know, interning at, a, a, at an agency and they, they, they repped, you know, Mark Brown and D. LaDue who are writing team who are also running it. So they were like, they need an assistant. I went over there, interviewed, got the gig. And so Mara used to see me Ripping and running and doing all this stuff. And then when Gina Prince-Bythewood, who was one of her closest friends, they came up together and said, hey, I need an assistant during post-production on The Secret Life of Bees. Mara was like, you got to get this girl like who was just like so happy to be here. She ripping and running. So I worked for Gina yeah. for two years. And then after that, Gina was like, yo, I got this woman who's amazing, who I know. She's about to make her first movie. She needs somebody like you on set. I was like, who, who is this? like, it's Ava DuVernay. Cool. I go work for her. We get really crazy. tight, you know. And in all that time, I'm just listening. I'm learning. I'm paying attention, and I'm also being mindful of like how I want to walk through the world and how I want to be. And that's why it's been such an amazing thing. Like to still be around Ava. I remember talking to Ava, you know, the day of the Queen of Slim premiere because she wasn't able to make it, but she was like, "Yo, this is amazing. I'm proud of you. You've been building." Mm-hmm. Gina bythewood like has been with me every step of the way. Mara's the homie. So it's like for them, it's crazy because they're like, "What? How? how?" But but also they always say too, they're like, "We're not surprised." Oh, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) We saw this coming. That's amazing. (laughs) It's crazy. So they all (laughs) led me to each other. Mara led me to Gina and Gina led me to Ava.
0: Wow. And so after that, you went, you continued to write and, and hone in on your craft. And then you win an Emmy for writing Masters. Oh, so that's a big
1: leap. I yeah, know. I so I want to get through, like, <laughs> like ca- kind of what that. I know. It's so crazy. It's like, it's, but that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, Deborah can speak to this too. It's like so much life happens, you know, that it takes to get to that Emmy stage. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful journey, but that's why it's so emotional. I mean, they give you like 45 seconds to be up there. To like say, but it's like the craziest thing, especially for someone like me, like who grew up like this watching TV at the waters and things like that. So for me to be getting it, I mean, and also to be a first in that category, a person who you know has loved uh, half-hour situational comedy my entire life. I've studied it. It's 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 the air that I breathe. So to to have that moment, you know, is really all the things we're talking about, and so many more is what led me there. And um, I just knew that that was, I think a lot of people sometimes say, oh, is that like the crowning moment of your career? Right, I think, um, right. no, I think it's a part of my journey. And um, right. and I'm honored that I could have broken down that door so that way others, you know, can, can walk through. Yeah.
0: How did that episode come about? I mean, it was, so we read that it was originally, that character was written as a white That's straight woman. Thing. And then, you know, you and Aziz worked together and they- decided that they wanted the character to resemble you very, very interesting.
1: So funny. It's like, no, it's like, here's the thing. They didn't know what they wanted the character to be. They knew they needed a girl. They knew they needed a woman in that group. Yeah. That's all they knew. And I didn't even know this was happening, you know, which is like classic Aziz, by the way. Like, he's just like working on stuff. So I didn't even know that he was doing a show. And so I got a call from my then manager when I was actually helping. I was on set uh, in Minneapolis producing Dear White People. And uh, he was like, this little chick Allison Jones wants to meet you as casting director. I was like, well, I don't know who that is. like, why do I want to be the casting director? I'm not casting anything. He was like, yeah, but she's like a pretty big deal in like in terms of the casting world. <laughs> he's like, you should meet her. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, she cast Bridesmaids. And I was like, what? And like, it's the geeks. I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. So I, I go to her office um, and literally walk by all these like iconic uh, posters of things she's casting. So I'm like, what am I doing here? And I sit, I go back there, I sit down and she's just like, Well, talk to me. Like, what's your, you know, what's going on? What are you into? Whatever. So I'm just like talking to her. And after we talked for a bit, she's like, Do you have any interest in being an actor? And I was like, I do not. I was like, I'm a writer. And she was like, Okay, all right, cool. She's like, Let me bring you in for some stuff here every now and then. And I was like, Okay, sure. So she did. She started bringing me in for stuff here and there. And one thing I did book, which was something so crazy. So there's this TV show that. um, The Comeback? Yes, The Comeback. With Lisa. I was obsessed with the first season. I was like, it was I'm amazing. Amazing, so pissed amazing. HBO didn't get it. Still pissed HBO <laughs> didn't get it. Because I was living in Chicago at the time. And when that, when that show came out, it was forever ago. And so, and I'm watching it like, because for me, and again, that's again, somebody, Michael Patrick King, Lisa Kudrow, changing yeah. again what the half hour can look like and feel like and what, the, yep. what a protagonist yep. can be. When Allison called me and said, I want you to come in and read for the second season of The Comeback. I was like, I, what? And she was like, I do I think she was shocked I knew what it was. So I go in, I risk for like two lines. So I go, so it's on tape, like it's just me and her. I go in, I do it, and then I, I get it. So I'm so... Okay, I, you, you know that there are,
2: like, actresses who are going to listen to this, and they're going to be like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, fuck, this I, is bullshit. I want to be an actress. Like, it's something I'm committed to. Oh, I know. And here's this chick who's like, no, I don't want to be an actress, but yeah, pull me in, and then all of a sudden, you're getting cast? <laughs> I mean, come
1: on! I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. It's the first thing I booked. Wow. So Michael always loves to say, like, tell Aziz I discovered you. I was like, okay, sure. So, um, but he did. He He's first person for me on TV, so I get the gig, and, I, and I'm in the second to last episode of the of the show, which means Michael is he wrote it, directing it, and Lisa fucking Cujo. I'm in a scene. I'm literally sitting at a table and I get to watch Lisa do what Lisa Cujo does, and it was like, and I and I knew that I knew what I was supposed to do. I'm so grateful. I was like, be calm, be cool, collected. Like I didn't like you know do anything. Didn't go up to Lisa whatever. Just did my thing, and um, and I did do a thing as a writer. I said, Michael, can I? It, it would read smoother if i did, it, did this and did that and he was like you're right yeah okay you can you can you can you can tweak that you can tweak i was like okay thank you i was i like no disrespect i want to make sure i'm he's like no no it's cool i was like all right so i do, he did the scene and um, and it was amazing it was amazing and i and i was like on the set and it was an amazing feeling for me and then cut to aziz calls Allison cuz he's like, he was like i want to do this interesting way of casting where you meet people You just talk to people first and you decide if you want to read with them. So Aziz, um, it's an old school way of doing it. Like some people still do it that way. But Aziz told Allison, he said, so look, just send me interesting people. Send interesting people to my house for me to talk to. And by the grace of God, Allison said, well, Lena Waith is interesting. And so I got a call one day. It's like, do you want to go to, to, have, a, to have a conversation with this? It was, so it was so weird. It was like, I said, so what am I doing? I was like, I'm talking to him. I'm not auditioning. I didn't have no script. They're like, no, he's just want to talk to you. So then
2: he casts you. So then he casts you as an actress. And then you end up getting an Emmy as a writer for the show. Right,
1: because I did not write at all season one. A lot of people think I was like a writer on it and this and that. And the truth is, is like, I went to his house and because I was, a you know, a writer, I knew how to go have a, a staff meeting. So that's really what yeah. it felt like. And I was a big fan of Parks and Rec. I'm like, please, I'm, please, loved it. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, so when I go to sit with him and Alan, I have a frame of reference. I'm like, love the show. Love you. Like, but, but also not being that. I was just sort of like talking about myself. I was I had just fallen in love. So I'm like talking about that. And I, it was for 30 minutes, I go away and they go, okay, now he wants to read with you. So I go, cool. So when I go in to read, I do the thing. I said, do you mind if I punch this up a bit? And Aziz is like, what? no. Like, go have fun. Do it. So now I'm saying stuff to him that he's not even ready for yet. So I'm doing jokes. These, they're all laughing. Alan, Aziz. <laughs> Allison, it's just like <laughs> they're all laughing. I'm saying stuff, and Aziz is like going with me. And I was like, I walked out I'm like, well, that felt like it went well. And so then, oh my god! So then I do the test. <laughs> you do the test that you do, like you know, studio. You test for the you know the people. And um, okay, hold up, hold up.
2: Just for the listeners, yes, you just need to know that when you are going in to audition Don't say that. for a TV show, <laughs> you do not ask them if you can rewrite the, the show. <laughs> You don't do well, that. I did
1: ask Allison's people. I said, Can I punch it up? And they're like, but Yeah, because I was like, Yo, what's up? Because it, okay. it was very little there. They're trying to find I it. I get it. God <laughs> bless. I'm just wa- try i trying to just keep want... employed. There was like, Here's what you don't do. Not the norm. I am obsessed okay. with your hustle. So, um, so anyway, so and he, I think they knew I was a writer. I think Allison said, like, look, she's a writer, but she's a performer or whatever. So anyway, so we do it. It's, it's dope. And so we come in for the test. And, and I don't know nothing about it. So I'm going like, OK, what's happening? So they, you test with another person. So that way, the studio right. and network have options. And this is Netflix. so They're the only people. So I go in, and it's this lily white woman sitting next to me. And, and I don't know none of it. So she's all like, what are, you, what are you testing for? And I was like, uh, Denise. And she's like, uh, okay, <laughs> So am I. <laughs> and I was like, And then we made a joke of like, I'm, Yeah, I'm sure we'll bump into each other in some other auditions. And so what I realized what was happening is that I think Aziz was trying to make a point to Netflix. I think he was right. like, If this was 1993, she would be Denise this white girl yes. would be Denise. Like she would be my friend, a potential love interest. He's like, but yep. it's not ni- 1993 anymore. It's like this girl here who is black, who is gay as hell, who's very comfortable in her skin could be a lot yep. more interesting as Denise. And so a that's what I, I totally percent. got that the second I was sitting next to her. I was like, oh, you're a decoy. <laughs> you that's know, amazing. you just don't know it yet. Amazing. A so we go, so I go in, I have a cold that day. And so I'm all like, fuck, shit, I got this thing and I got a cold. But I walk in and Michael Schur is there. And, um, and he's like, how you feeling? I said, like, Michael Jordan in the flu game. And he chuckles. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, yo, man. Oh my God, I was that's like, amazing. I was like, like MJ in the flu game. I'm like, I'm gonna do this thing. That's, I got that I reference. I love And it. Michael Sher was like, okay. So I go, we do it. And then sure enough, I get the call that like changes my life. Whereas he's like, come to New York and um, play my friend and let's see what happens. And it was really like a shot in the dark because, you know, Netflix was still newish, you know, they had yeah. a lot of comedy. Yeah. Um, but I trusted Aziz, you know, I love what he had done. I trusted Alan. And, and I had, because by that time though, I had written The Shy, and I was like in the process of selling The Shy. Showtime had bought it. And they were like, let's do... And I was like, yo, to David Nevins, I was like, I have this opportunity to go do this thing. And he's super smart. He was like, go do yeah. it. He's like, go do the show. We'll be here waiting for you when you get back to do the shy. Um, because I think he was like, go be famous and then we'll have your first TV show. Totally. And I was like, I'll take it. And so I went to New York, you know, for a couple months, did it, you know, and then, you know, it came out. And... It was this this magical thing, and people loved the character, and so that's why with season two, Aziz was like, and again, I didn't write anything. I, I would he and I would talk, and I would like give him stuff, but I was right. like, you know, I'm, I'm when I'm an actor, I'm a puppet. I'm like, whatever you need, I'm a team player. So, um, but right. then second season, because the character was so popular and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and I had made a list, like I think the Hollywood Reporter was like at people to watch, and so I made that, list. right? And so, but and Aziz said, like, we got to do you're going to give you your own episode. And, 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 and Alan Yang just asked, he said, hey, how did you come out? And I started telling that story. I basically kind of told a version of the Thanksgiving episode, but by myself, it was a one-woman show. And they were like, this is an episode. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah. And, th- and then somehow, and then Anise came up with the idea of centering it around Thanksgiving, which I loved. And then I got, then I did get cast in Ready Player One, had to go be in London for three months. And, and Aziz came to London for us to write that episode. He was wow. there. I had three days off. We were in a hotel room for three days.
0: Oh my was God. Was it hard to write out.
1: that episode? No. At that point, I'm like, you know, Michael Jordan is, is, you know, getting his sixth championship. You know, it's like, I was so, everything I had done up to that point was preparing me for that moment. And the reason why I knew, cause it just like, it flowed out of me. It just like, it just, it came out and, and Aziz and I passing the, the, the laptop backwards and forwards and, and when it came for me time to write the coming out scene, he left the room. Like he was like, I'm going to leave. And was, being that." I will never forget being at London hotel room by myself, you know, and I'm just like writing that scene as I remember it, you know?
2: And then I can only imagine how proud your family must've been oh, when you were standing crazy, up there. Crazy. The first even nominated, yeah. the first black woman nominated. Yes. And then you won yeah. it, you know, this Emmy and you won it for this incredibly personal story that included your family. So here it is. Here's the moment. The moment that is like, okay, this changes your life forever.
1: Yeah.
2: How did you feel the power dynamic change? You said that you felt that the Emmy gave you power. Mm -hmm. And you said this quote, which I Deborah's literally obsessed it. with you. This said quote. we've talked about it. I'm obsessively so can for wait. So I, I have so many quotes. By the way,
0: you is. have the best quotes of anyone we have ever spoken to. We have like lists of quotes that you
1: have Hands made, are like, "Oh my god!" I know. I can do all day. Lena, like, I want a guarantee
2: that you will write my eulogy. <laughs> I was like, I yes, got like you.
1: "Yes, yes." Let's <laughs> hope it comes later and not. Go ahead.
2: Okay, so this is this is what you said. You said. I love being able to show my teeth a little bit. I love being shady. Mm -hmm. I love being snarky. I love making the white execs uncomfortable now. For some reason, a statue gives me that power. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that once you were anointed by the very traditional academy, Did you feel like, okay, this is it. Everything is open to me. I'm going to have creative control over everything that I want to do. Everyone who did not even give me a look is now respecting me. Did you feel like, okay, done?
1: I felt like it was the beginning.
2: Hmm.
1: It was the beginning and I wanted to earn it, you know, even more, Uh even though I felt like I was, I had you know, up until that point, I'd done a lot of work and put a lot of time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears in. Yeah. But it felt like, oh, now I'm actually cooking with gas. Like, now I know, mm. you know, who I how I want to show up and I know who I want to be. And there was so much going on, though, leading up to that. I mean, like, I was on the shy, was struggling. I had a showrunner I wasn't really getting along with. I didn't have no power on that show. And yep. I was just like, and, and all the execs from the studio and network were in the room when I won the Emmy. <sighs> so they had to stand up and applaud. That's amazing. You know, and they looking at me like, oh, shit. OK, things, you know, things <laughs> so, are going <gonna> <laughs> to change. I mean, literally like my, overnight, you know, that showrunner, that showrunner was like, here, you take the show, you know, have it. I was like, OK. And it just, you know, it, things did shift. People were like, OK, well, now this is a new day. And for me, it was about, you know, I don't get a lot of mileage out of looking down on nobody. I don't get a lot of mileage out of burning bridges with people. I don't get a right. of mileage out of being like, aren't I great? To me, it was more about, okay, I've gained some weight. How can I throw it around? Right. And I think that to me was really important. It was about how can I help others? How can I build? And I really sort of wanted the freedom to just try some shit, you know? And yeah. I had already, I think at that point, I would written Queen and Slim, you know, it was in my back pocket. And uh, and I knew I still wanted to get twenties made. Yeah, you know I still had a lot of dreams for myself. You know that I was like, okay, great, maybe this will help me get those things done. Uh, but at the same time, I knew I was like, hopefully, I can help other people get their dreams. You know, uh, bring them to fruition as well. And so I think that's really what that felt like for me. But also too, if we can be real. There's also a lot of uh, you know people start swinging. You know, as at you. You know, yeah. Like you you. It, it's fun to be the darling and, and and you will be, you know, I I was on, I was on ridiculous, you know, her Jones first, you know, when she, when the change of the guard happened yeah. at Vanity Fair, it was my face yeah. that told you it's a new day. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, Casper, a Ready Player One, you know, that comes out yeah. and is massive. I mean, it's still little kids to be called to this day like H, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, now I'm in a different, you know, it was, I was touching on different things and, and people were really looking like, oh, this girl, she's the poster child, she's this, she's that. And and it was, it's when you when you're sitting on a on a on a throne, everybody knows where you are. Oh. So it's a great they know, they know where they know, they know where to shoot the wow. they know how to, they know where to come for you. And so I realized that, but also too, when you sit on the throne, that's how you can, you know, how else do you rule a court? Like you have, okay, let's get this done, let's get that done. So to me it's about circling the throne, you know, like never yeah. sitting in it and getting comfortable. It's like, it's like you think about Game of Thrones. It's like, I don't want to sit in that chair. Everybody that's seven gets, gets killed. killed right. <laughs> so it's like, to me, yeah. it's about how do I empower uh, without being drunk with power? Yes. I have no desire to do that. And I think that's the, that's the tricky thing that comes with success. And I think to me, it's, it's the constant battle of like, how can I be an artist and be good but also be successful. And I think that's the constant debate because most people that are successful, they give what? They give fast food to people because everybody wants that. It's different to get people to gather around for a six-course meal.
2: Now we are going to take a quick break to talk about our brand partner, Clean Cause. You've heard us talk about this brand before. We've been working with them now for a few months and we love it. Clean Cause beverages are organic, sparkling yerba mate, containing 160 milligrams better caffeine so you get a smooth pick-me-up and sustained energy without crashes or jitters. Clean Cause gives where you swig and allocates sober living scholarships across the country. 50% of the profits support individuals in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. Addiction is an epidemic that is rocking our country And Clean Cause is on a mission to support recovery in America. To date, Clean Cause has granted over 1,500 sober living scholarships, representing more than $750,000. It is available in eight refreshing flavors, including blackberry, watermelon mint, peach, and cherry lime. They're all so good, it's really hard to pick a favorite. Clean Cause is available nationwide at Whole Foods on Amazon and at cleancause.com. And don't forget to use your code dissenters to take 20% off your next purchase at cleancause.com. That's cleancause.com, code dissenters, D-I-S-S-E-N-T-E-R-S. Every purchase makes a big difference in support of addiction recovery. So use your dissenters code and try some today the thing that was really interesting to me you know reading about the shy and how the first two seasons your voice was not there and it was mm-hmm. and it was frustrating and painful and in order to to sort of survive that frustration you focused on queen and slim mm-hmm. and you said about queen and slim that that was a moment for you you went back to the craft hmm.
1: If I have time, I'm going to write, you know, and I had time on my hands at that time. Right. Because other people, it was so much going on. And, and I was just like, well, I want to this is what I want to do. And uh, and I want to tell this story. And and I want to tell it my way. And because I had gotten to be successful, and it and it was this thing where people were wondering, are you gonna is she gonna do a movie? Right. Um, and I had bonded with Melina Matsukis, who directed the Thanksgiving episode, and she hadn't done a movie yet either. So the timing just kind of worked out. And then Daniel Kaluuya and I had be, become genuinely friends, mm-hmm. and so we had dinner he was like, what are you working on? And I was like, uh, this thing about, you know, black man, black woman, kill a cop, my self-defense. He says, say no more. I want to read it. Wow. And he did. And he was like, I have to be in this. And I was like, okay. And so I kind of accidentally packaged my own movie. And, and so when you take that script, which is pretty much what, you know, what you see on screen, Melina on one side of me being like, yeah, I have to direct this and Daniel on the other being like, I have to be slim walking into a studio. Like I realized the power that, that that had. And they were like, what do you want for this? And I was like, oh, well, so Melina, I said, ask for however much you want. I said, Dan, if you want to be an EP, that's cool. And I'm like, I don't want no notes from y'all. You know what I'm saying? And even if the movie isn't perfect, it was like, it was mine. Yes, and I had been through so much with like getting notes on shit that didn't feel right and feeling abused. So it was a little bit of a reaction where I was like, nah. And and I what I loved about the film was, and it did well. I mean, it was like critics really dug it and did well at the box office for something that was an original concept. Yeah. And, you know, and then Blacks would got on me a little bit because of the ending. You know, they're like, God dang it, Lena, shit. Like, why can't we get a win? But, you know, and that was tough because the opening of my movie, I mean, I had a rave review from A.L. Scott. You know what people do to get a rape of A.L. Scott? And I was miserable because some Black folks was mad about how the movie ended. <laughs> so yeah. that also comes with being a Black artist. Like, you don't always get to just sit and enjoy and go, yep, this is what the life is. Right. It's like, no, it's like, oh, damn, like, oh, they weren't fucking with that. Okay, cool. So it was also a little bit the Black community reminding me, like, you still got to answer to us. Right. You know, at the end of the day. Right. And, um, and, you know, but also, too, as an artist, I have to be able to answer to myself and got to answer to me but also, too, I like engaging with my community. Like, I'm never going to just be like, oh, I don't care what y'all got to say. Although some artists want to do that. Right. That's their prerogative. Right. To me, it's a conversation. To me, it's a relationship. Now, it's not ruled by committee, but it is, it is, a, it is a, a dialogue. And I also want to be mindful uh, of what I'm doing, what I'm putting out. Because even now, it's like, you can't just go put in, you know, a fair-skinned Black woman next to a dark-skinned woman and say, oh, this is the epitome of beauty you know because that's a dangerous thing to put yes, out into the world. Yes. Um, it's like we have to we have to combat that. huh So I think to me I always try to do my part in that lane where it's like I want to make sure I have, you know, just as many brown skin women in my stuff as I do, you know, I'm not saying you can't cast any fair-skinned women, but in terms of what Queen of Slim was, I knew I wanted a, a, a woman that was just as brown and beautiful as Daniel. Yeah, yeah, and that's what was so you know it was so unique because what I really hadn't seen in a long time, which I will say, is two black people just having sex on screen. You know, you and the see that and music. the leads
2: and and leads yeah.
1: to be that dark. Yes, I'm always going to be proud of that movie. I just recently went to a drive-in for it. Somebody was hosting an event. They they wanted to show Queen of Slim. I got to go and watching it now was such a visceral experience, you know? I'm sure, and so yeah. it tells me even for all the shit that I got about how the movie ended, now I think that maybe that's why it was so uh hard for some folks because they're like, this is so close to our reality, Lena. Shit. Can we have a fairy tale? Yeah. But I think for me, I do, I do uh take that page out of Nina Simone's book where it's like it's an artist's job to reflect the times in which they live. And so I could not do that. Uh but I understand why folks was a little ticked about right. it. But I'm really proud of what we made.
0: We like to sometimes on this podcast, ask people like the very obvious questions because we want people to really learn and like understand. Mm-hmm. And so there was something you had said at a point, which I love, which was, you know, we create the heroes that we need. And so mm-hmm. I would love to hear- Which
1: is a quote I read somewhere else. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I would just love your take on, you know, why television is an important medium for you and an important medium for change. Like, why is it important to have- a masculine-presenting woman at the center of 20s and, and you know, mm. highlighting, you know, historically excluded groups. Like, why does that actually matter? Because obviously it does, but I don't know that it's so intuitive for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, TV is really the center of our lives. It's the center of it. Uh, what do people put TVs in their living rooms? Mm-hmm. That's where you live. That's where the TV is. And now, obviously, there's, I mean, there's a TV in every room, you yeah. know, but... Um, and, uh, your phone is a TV. Everything could be a TV. Yeah. Um, you get in your car, there's a TV. So mm-hmm. we're surrounded by them. Um, but I think narrative television in particular, and, and I'll even speak even more specifically to half hour narrative television, what it does is it disarms you because you're, you know, you're there to laugh. You're there to have a good time. And so I think, you know, when you're laughing, you are the most vulnerable. You know, you're joyful. You're open. Your heart is open. Your chest is open. So when you can slip something in there, you know, that is informative, that will make you look at the world differently, it's a very powerful medium. It's the most, to me, I think a microphone is more lethal than a grenade. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we have to be very careful, you know, with what we do with it. Now, I'm also a believer. I don't like censoring. You know, I think some people... And now we censor ourselves because we're scared. Oh, they are going to be mad if I say this or I can't do that or no, I can't do that. I mean, I spend most of my day doing that. I mean, I literally have handcuffs on me while I'm writing, you know, scripts now because you're so freaked out. And now, so sometimes you got to sometimes say, you know what, let them come. You know, but but I think that, you know, for me, I mean, literally, you're looking at someone who named their production company after a fictitious HBCU yeah. at, at a television show. That started in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how powerful it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we've all heard the statistics when the different world was on, uh, the um enrollment rate of HBCUs went up. Uh, you know, when the when the bonds went and got a library card, kids at high school everywhere went to the Flooded their Libraries to get library cards. Because <laughs> got a library card. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's like, you know, it's like that I love the classic joke when Mary uh, Richards' parents are visiting her, her mom is getting ready to leave and her dad and her in the kitchen. He says she says don't forget to take your pill. Mary and her dad both turn and say I won't. You know, it's it's a it's a way to you know, it's like Oh my god, you know, that's so powerful. It's like it's, it's 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 powerful, you know, for this, you know, character they're watching to know, oh, okay. She's having right, sex. You know, She's having sex and she's being, uh, smart about yes. it. Yeah. She's, she's not having sex to have children. Yep. She's having sex for the enjoyment of it. Yes. You know? And so again, it's like, you know, or even golden girls, which I look and look uh, at. And to me, I think uh, is like, genius. you know, genius. you can study it, you know, it's like, it's like geometry. Everything has a, has an answer. You know, it's like, they're going to get to a thing and, um, you know, it's like, when I used to watch Design and Women. It's like, all this stuff is like, like one act plays really, you know? And, uh, but, you know, and I think, but then that's why for me, like watching stuff like The Fresh Prince, like, I mean, hello, like you see the the influence that it's not just TV and and dialogue, but it's about culture, you know? And so what I, and for me to have shows on the air is like, it's one of the most, that's why people talk about showrunners. Showrunners can be like, so, because you feel almighty
2: yeah you're yeah. like,
1: there is crazy, yeah, like it, so that's why for me, I try to make sure I stay, you know, low to the ground and that I'm because you can lose your head.
2: You've spoken publicly about the need for mandates for inclusion at studios, mm-hmm. networks, streamers. They need to live by the rules, and if they do not, there should they should face financial repercussions. I yeah agree a thousand percent. I think that is badass. I think that it has to be that uh, consequential. Do you think that if that actually happened, that the result would be actual change? I mean, how do we move from the presentation of change, you know, the token Mm -hmm. placements here and there to actual change? How do we ensure that Hollywood's current desire for Black content you know, has a lasting legacy. It's not just in this moment of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be an ongoing journey. You know, I think to me why mandates are super important is because I just know that that's what people, that's what everything boils down to is money. Uh, And yes, there's passion and energy and people love certain things. But ultimately, it's like if we aren't really like holding people accountable through a pocketbook, is not going to matter. And it may seem sort of uh, forced and, you know, or it needs to be enforced. But I always compare it to the laws of our land as a nation. It's like they at some point they had to say that segregation is no longer the law of the land. And like I've told people all the time, that was obviously I didn't live through it, but it was not an easy transition. Because people were so used to the way things were, you know, and there was a point in time. I love the footage where a person is like literally taking down the colored only side and the bus because they're like, oh, we don't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and folks get on the yeah. bus. And, yeah. and the, the thing that gets me every time is like and then you see, you know, obviously black and white people getting on the bus and, and there's no rules as to where you can sit and the world doesn't explode. It's like, yeah, see guys. Like the, everybody's fine. You go get to where you go, and you go get to where you going. You know, nobody has to get up. Nobody. It's all good. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I feel about like this whole I- inclusion. You know, you know, um, mandate is that the world will not explode. It's like people will start to realize, oh, why did yeah. we? Why were we doing it the other way for so long? Because this is fine. Everybody's cool. You know. So I look at it that way. It's like if you level the playing field, what it does is it it, it gives people that were once in power, the feeling of being inferior. And so therefore, right. you know, I just feel like power is the thing that nobody wants to let go of. And that's why the, it's like they said, like the oppressed has to demand, um, you know, freedom and, and equal rights from the oppressor. It's not going to be given.
2: Yeah, we can't be trusted to do the right thing ourselves. Yes. I mean, we we even see this right now today with, with mm-hmm. COVID, you know, they, they say there are states that mandate exactly, mass scoring. and then yeah. there are other states that I say just we're, n- we're not going to mandate it, but we highly, right. highly recommend it. And those
1: states have, oh, yeah. you know, rates <laughs> I've just seen them sky high it's, because it's like, yeah, well, if you don't want to do a thing, you're not going to, you know what I'm saying? It's like we cannot be trusted without it being legislated. They had to start ticketing people to wear a seat belt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You still, it's like click it a ticket. I remember that campaign. It's like, so you're yep. you're like, yeah. that's money. You don't want to get a ticket. Yeah. yeah. So you're gonna wear, so yes. you're gonna do a, a normal thing. Like, okay, put on up, do this, because I don't wanna pay money. You see what I'm saying? Right. It's like to me, it makes so, so much sense. And I've heard people saying, Oh, it's possible it could be done. It will take a lot of infrastructure. It will take a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me. Um, or any of us on this call. You know what I'm saying? I don't claim to know how to to make it work, but I do know that if we if we did something like that, I think we would see some change that would actually be lasting. <sighs> God, I love you so much. <laughs> that would be And you know, they find basketball players and football for stuff, like for less, so, you know, it's like they yep. get fined. It's <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, okay.
0: I mean we talk about this all the time for gun safety. It's I mean there are yes. there are ways we have restrictions on rights across oh, yeah. the board to ensure safety of other people. It's just it's not that complicated. No, yeah. There was a quote that, that we loved about you because, you know, I think obviously you you are someone that has really used your power and influence for good and you challenge people to kind of rethink the way they think about everything. And you said, I, I have the power to be a good boss. I have the power to be a good collaborator. I have the power to be a voice. I have I have a power to use my platform and be out and say, you know, hey, other gay Black celebrities who are not out, this is ridiculous. We all need to be out and be ourselves and be free and stop trying to fit in the mold and all this other Mm. bullshit. It is so much cooler when you say it.
1: (laughs) I like how you said it. That
0: was good. Weird, I guess like, but where does this passion of justice come from with you? Because I mean, just listening to you speak for the last hour, it is so, first of all, your passion and your persistent hustle and your dedication to being a constant student is like so admirable. And I think it's such an important lesson for everybody is just like, you don't just get here. Like you have worked your ass off to get here and you have yes. studied the craft and you've perfected it and you 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 know that you have more to learn. And I think that's so humbling and so empowering. Thank you. Um, but there is just listening to you speak, even at the age of seven, watching these characters, there was this part of you that like wanted justice, that wanted more, that wanted to create better role models. And like, where does where did that passion from you come
1: from? You know, I think it it comes from wanting to give, I think. This generation, the one behind me, giving them really what I had, you know, in a way. And that I think I really grew up during a time where I got to see so much beautiful art. You know, um, I got to see, like, I got to be, because I believe great art inspires other great art. Um, It's like the story Mm -hmm. of John Singleton seeing boys and seeing uh, do the right thing and then being inspired to go do Boys in the Hood. It's like, I want to make sure that the generations are getting work that will inspire them to be their best selves. I think that's super mm. important because I had artists like that. You know, I people know I got Whitney. Oh, I got everybody now. I got like Whitney's like signature here with love Whitney. <laughs> I got friends here. I uh, know people, you know Matt oh you guys like gosh. a Michael test. Okay. So but anyway but it's just like I grew up. That was me, you know, I'm like, what? Like Michael Jordan, yeah. Michael Jackson. It was like, oh man, like this, we are great. We're amazing. You know, I grew up watching Venus and Serena. Like, I know what Black excellence looks yes. like. Yes. And, but I also, too, just appreciate Black life. You know, I think there's this thing, is that I particularly grew up with it, and I don't think it's changed as much, but it's that you matter more, you know, when you're good at something, you know, and, and people, everybody, will yes. know about Yes, it. And I think what it does is it invalidates people's lives who are, who, who deliver your mail to your door. You know, or who make sure you know your kids are taken care. of. It, it, it makes it seem as if their lives are less important. And to me, I want to make entertainment that speaks to everyone. You know, and and yeah. so that to me is what I think drives me. Is that it's not just you know the celebrity or the 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 industry. It's more about the people. You know, it's it's what I'm trying to do. What Gordon Parks did is like he captured us. You know, and with with photography. And I'm trying to trying to get to us, you know, on the page, like, oh, is it, how do we say this? How do we react in these situations? And we're not all a monolith, but I just, I just really appreciate, you know, Black people, but I also appreciate people just in general. And I'm fascinated by us yeah. and human behavior. And so I always want to make sure it's as honest as it can be, it's as beautiful as it can be, and it's as specific as it can be. Because when people mm-hmm. see specificity, they see themselves.
2: It's really interesting because we've talked to so many people who have been activists mm-hmm. without trying to be activists. Right, right. And a lot of the people we've spoken to, it's been about creating foundations or gathering people together and, and mobilizing. And I love that you, you talk about the fact that you're mentoring, you know, through Hillman yeah. grad mentorship and being the co-chair of the Committee of Black Writers mm-hmm. at the Writers Guild, that your activism is actively Helping black artists find their footing and and ultimately become part of the community. you You pay for, you know, a writer's writing class mm-hmm. if they don't yeah. have the money. You help people get representation. You help people who are really talented get jobs. And I think it's really important for our listeners to know that that is not common that that <laughs> people and that, that people in Hollywood. When they have arrived, you know, after after grinding for so many years, you know, their first instinct is not to look behind them and to say, hey, come along with me. That is powerful. I mean, to
1: me, I wouldn't know any other way to be. You know, I think and I found that I have become a person that folks don't mind reaching out to. And it's like, yeah, people will DM me like I mean, my my former assistant Rock Raquel DM'd me. You know, reached out. At that point, I was really sort of doing it like on my own. My homie was my assistant. Just like, I was like, okay, come on, come sit with her or whatever. And it is funny because my friend, she's more my friend, but she was working as my assistant. She met with Rock. I said, see if she can help you with scripts and reading things, whatever. She went and met with her. And she, the truth is, she said, I want to bring her on because I love her taste in, in, in like television. Because I think at the time she was like, what are you watching? And, and Rock is like this black girl from like, you know, LA. She was like, loving Broad City, loving Broad City right now. And Tiffany was like, oh, what? This is great. So it's like, because I think she surprised her. You know, I don't think she expected her to say that was her favorite show. And I think that's what we like. We like people that are going to surprise us. You know, we want to hear from people that, you know, and I don't care what it is. It's like, if you like, oh, I got this idea or how do I get started? It's like people say, oh, this may sound like a stupid question. I'm like, man, no, there's no such thing. It's like, I'm going to always give it. I'm going to talk to you like I would anyone else, you know. Well,
2: that's really admirable because most people do not make themselves available.
1: I get it. and Because it can be overwhelming, you know, and I have a whole system of people that, help me with it. Because otherwise I'd be like drowning. But with the mentorship program, I really have big dreams for that. Like I eventually I want to be like an artist residency, you know, where we have a place for people to live. We have, you know, we do a, hopefully a, a partnership with the car company, uh, do hopefully do a partnership with a place like Whole Foods. So like literally their, stock, their fridge is stocked. We have a car to drive and they're, they're, their rent is, women board is all paid for, furnished. And, and it's literally, we want to do it every year. And you're a Hillman grad fellow and like, and Pump out the next Jerry Jenkins, the next Issa Rae, the next Michaela Cole, you know, and also too, I don't care how old you are. People are like, is there an age limit? I'm like, nah, I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care how you identify. If you want to do this thing and you're passionate about it, you'll get out of it, whatever you pour into it. So to me, it's like, if you make it really competitive, it could be amazing. And it's like, how many Hillman grad fellows can we have out populating the business? That's my thing. It's like If we can pump these people into the business, you know, they'll show you what they got. We're
2: going to take a quick break to talk about our new brand partner, PayPal. Things may have changed around us, but our inner drive to be there for the people we care about runs deeper than ever. It's so nice to see our communities have come together during this time. Our normal has changed, and we're all finding new ways to connect and continue supporting one another. I've supported my community by going to the local market in my neighborhood and also ordering from our favorite restaurants. When we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change. And we're doing more to support and advocate for underrepresented communities. Now we are spending time with friends and exploring local cuisine while social distancing. So what we need more than ever is an easy way to support each other from afar. With the PayPal app, sending and receiving money is faster and easier. Stay connected with the people you love. Quickly and securely send money to friends and family just about anywhere in the world. Start a money pool to split the bill, go in on a gift or fundraise for a good cause. Support the places and causes you care about most. Make touch-free QR code payments at your favorite local restaurant or farmer's market. Donate to a local nonprofit or support a cause from across the country. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly, and easily. Download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're down to our last question and a half. Okay, let's do it. Okay. You were quoted as saying that you didn't want to be the only revolutionary out there with a megaphone as a, a lesbian woman. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is still a taboo to come out in Hollywood? And do you think it's different for Black Gay and lesbian and trans actors and writers.
1: Um, well, everything is different for Black folks. Like it's, like, it's always a different thing. But um, I think it's difficult to be uh, to come out in Hollywood, period. But I think it is much more difficult to do it if you are a Black person or or a brown person or, a, a, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. You know, if I will say person of color. I think a lot of people don't love that term, but I just want to say in terms of like, if you are a, a, a part of a marginalized yes. community already, and then to come out is difficult because you already have a lot of things stacked against you. And I think that's really where a lot of sometimes parents have issues where they're like, okay, so now you're going to add something else on top of all the other things you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. But I think it is difficult. I, and the reason why I have a privilege is because I didn't have to come out. In, in the industry, right. you know, I stepped into it as like, this is who I am and this is what it is. And I think because of that, it was so weird to people, which I didn't even think. I was like, why is this so interesting? Why, what's the difference? But I think people in the industry because I was a little naive, too. And also, I had no desire to be a public person. So that's also a thing, too. So I was sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm gay. Okay, so what's the problem? Because it's fine to be a Black lesbian writer. Right. That's easy. Right. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> like the norm. It's like being a chef. Yes. You know, there's certain careers that we have. But uh, but I think that, you know, what, what I found... Was how other people in my community who I know were a part of my community but weren't out publicly. They were like, "Well, it's different," because they're like, "They people know me as one way, and if I do it this way, it could change things." So that's why I did have to understand what my privilege was—is stepping into the industry as as a as a a, a gay person, but then also someone who. I don't have to make my living in front of the cameras. I could just always go away and just write things and not have to be in front of the cameras. And I think if you're an actor and that's what you do and that's how you make money, I think sometimes people get nervous that they may be pigeonholed uh, for being who they are. And we have not gotten past that. I think we, and I think for, and there's a lot of like black singers and athletes. I mean, the numbers just don't add right. up. It's like, look at- We it, know one in know, 10. Please. Yes. Come on. It's like, and then you go look at like the NBA, you go to NAACP Image Awards. It doesn't add up. And so I think for a long time, I would be sort of like frustrated because I'm going, what's up, man? You live your life. But the truth is, everybody's path is different. Everybody's journey is different and you can't force someone out. You just can't. No, you can't. It's just, it's just heartbreaking. You know, like y'all went through.
2: Yeah, it's a tough thing. I know it's, it's heartbreaking to be in 2020 after all of the progress, you know, and, and to still, feel like there are dire consequences for, for, yep. you know, exclaiming, this is who I am. It, it's just, it's, it's really,
1: it's still yeah, it's still tough. It's still tough. And, you know, I have a better understanding of that. Um, but what I try to do as much as I can is, is live my life as victoriously as I mm-hmm. can and show the joy and the success, not trying to flex, but to show this generation, like, you too can be out as successful. Now you don't have to take my journey or do everything the way I did it. But it's like, it it was important for me on the cover of Vanity Fair. It is important for me to be a Ready Player One as myself with this Kate, or master of none, or in bad hair, and all these things. And so it's important for me to show up as myself. And I think I I know that, you know, that's why for me, like activism and being revolutionary, it's like sometimes it's not the big things, you know, sometimes it's the small things. Uh, it's like so. I know if some little, you know, queer black girl like peep that cover or saw me here, she knows. Like yeah. you know, I may not be where I want to be now, but I know yes. I can get, I can get close to that. And so I want to be that. I want to be a beacon of hope. And that's why I always, it's it's not easy because like you got to make sure, you know, I got to make sure I'm doing the right things and being kind and like not being a bad person because people will look at that and be like, all right, cool, we off you, you know. So it's like it's, it is about making sure. I'm showing up in the right way, you know. Because it is a it's responsibility. Like, it's, it's yeah, absolutely, and it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, especially when you become something that people hold up. Yeah, and I get why. Yeah, you know, yeah. I get why. But at the same time, it's like as a human, it's like I don't, I don't have the luxury anymore to like to fall down to fuck up as a person because people are like, no, no, don't, right. don't do that. <laughs> like, keep it together, get your shit right. It's like, okay, all right, let me. I wish we
2: I wish we had two more hours I know we could could I mean I feel like I could talk to you forever a hundred hours I have so many questions I want to ask you right now like my head is going to explode and I know that you know Mandana has to go to her kids school one final (laughs) really important question already what is butter pie
1: oh the lemon butter pie Lush, yummy my, pies. I'm going to give y'all my a look.
2: girlfriend Kathy said that I needed to ask
1: you oh, what snap. it was. Hold on. I'm going to go. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to go to her. <laughs> I got to go to her her Instagram so I can make sure y'all have it. Okay. It's Lush, Yummy, Yummies Pie Co. So it's L U S H Lush, like uh-huh, Lush, uh-huh. Yummy, but spelled Y U M M I E, S, S, post- uh-huh. like, so plural, Yummies. P-I-E-C-O. She's dope. She's a Howard grad. She's my friend's uh, sorority sister. And that's how I found out about her. She has a couple new flavors now. But the lemon butter pie, it's like key lime pie, but without the key lime. It's like lemon and butter and like in this custard and this is pie. And here's the thing. You don't bake it or anything. It's like, it's chill. You li- literally put it in the freezer and it doesn't freeze. And it's just like <laughs> dope. It's like ice cream, <laughs> but it's like pie. It's literally lit, my made, favorite, oh, favorite thing like she made Oprah's favorite thing. So I so I so my, my homie Ashley Blaine Featherston, was like, yo, my girl got this thing, she whatever. I remember I was in New Jersey filming something. I was like, okay, cool. She can send a pie. She sent it and I loved it. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna send this to all my people. And my people happened to be like Nisi Nash and like Asia Hines, all these different people. So and they just were just like all binding up, sending it to people. It just a gift. I think it's the one that Carrie Washington sent Send to people, just like whatever. And people that I knew would post it. Posted. And people posted it, went around, and then now next thing you know, she'll open favorite thing. Well, in this that's current amazing. issue right now. Yes.
2: Well, Kathy and Jimmy is, is one of my besties. Kathy, I love Kathy. Yes, that's my. Yes. Pretty. She's so. And great. she was like, oh, my God, I died. I died. It, it was the most extraordinary thing I've ever tasted in my life. So, yes.
1: And Kathy's so dope. Kathy. So, though, Kathy, because Kathy thought because Kathy and I met at the morning show premiere. Uh-huh. And we just vibe. Yeah. And she so was bad. like, we'll link up, whatever. And I think she thought it was Hollywood. I was like, no, I was I was in New York. I was like, what you doing? She's like, uh, <laughs> nothing. What's up? I made down I'm Like, my schedule. I was like, are you free this night or whatever? And so I came over. I went to her house. We just like talked. She was just like, I just never thought this would actually happen. We're here in my kitchen. I was like, yeah, we're here. We're talking. We're hanging out. I know.
2: She called me right after you left. She was like, she was here for six hours. We, we, were there. We, were like, we were we were talking. She's like, we were talking. She's like, we were talking. We were talking. I was giving she her She was like, she's latest. awesome. I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, I, I'm always like bowing to her whenever we're at a red carpet event. But I, I I'm like, I haven't had like the chance to sit for six hours like you have.
1: I mean, this is like, we. If luckily there's a time limit on it or we would have just like been gone into, you know, and at some point we got to have it like, where there's no cameras because then like can have unedited versions. Of yes. It. But, um, but no, this has been, this has been amazing. And also, I thank y'all for letting me geek out about like old TV. Oh my and, God, like, it was like, so interesting. It's like, so lovely.
2: You know, you don't hear people who are, are really at the top of their game and celebrated getting really, really passionate about the history yeah. of the craft. You know, I and and, you know, Madonna and I are like self-avowed nerds. So this like is this. Like, is, we like, literally constantly jam. talk
0: about how we're the biggest nerds ever.
1: Yeah. So just oh, hearing goodness. you like geek out. We're like, so yes, cool. yes, It's like, yo, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I really do. You know, I just really appreciate, you know, like, look, Deborah, you're a part of the television history. You know, it's like. It, it, it just is what it is, and and you got you are part of that that NBC like Thursday the legacy and 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 also so, come on like Jim, Jimmy Burrow, I know like that's like like, He's like iconic TV. I mean, he did American really I that know company. he did. So it's it's like you know it's uh it's a beautiful thing, and I think you are part of a thing that I studied and also kind of kept Thank me on my you. toes and kind of kept a lot of us on our toes, I think. Uh, well, <laughs> Cause y'all just like came in like, like boom, boom, boom. But it was such a wonderful thing to to watch and uh, it's such a joy to talk to you.
2: You have come to Hollywood and have, you know, set off a bomb and uh, you are probably one of the most prolific creators I know And it's so exciting to read about all the things that you have coming up. I mean, a horror film. I mean, it's like you are just crossing genres in a way that is (laughs) blowing my mind. And it's amazing because what you are telling our listeners is you don't have to be put in a box. You can do anything that is authentic to you and and you are passionate about. Then it's the right thing to do. And thank you. Thank you. This was the thank most so fun hour
1: and a half ever. <laughs> This is great. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we got God it bless done. bless you, I'm glad baby. We made it happen. God bless. God bless you. God bless y'all. This is fantastic, man. And this is great. I'm so glad you're doing this. You are such an
0: incredible role model for people. You are. And it's like, we're so honored to tell this story. So thank you.
1: It's not some Hollywood bullshit. This is real. All right. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. I feel bonded. Thank you, guys. Thank you Thank so you. much.
2: Bye. And you
1: did such great research. You guys are like journalists. Hey, okay, man. Y'all with the quotes, <laughs> really? it happens yeah. when you put two nerds together. <laughs> I know exactly. I'll take it. I appreciate. Wait, literally,
0: just so it's you know, this is what you were talking to. Oh my
1: god, that's, that's crazy.
0: Well, I'm, This is like all my law school stuff coming back together. Like I'm just walking around oh with my, my highlight. This, this is, is all nuts.
1: you. This is all you. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you guys are probably like, this girl is so, like, just everywhere. What's happening? You are
0: honestly one of the most fun people to research
1: you ever. Really were. By leaps
0: and bounds. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you are, you are a good time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard that before. Thank you so much. You guys are the best. Bye. Thank you. Later.
2: Thank you so much for tuning in, and please join us next week for what will likely be the craziest, most mind blowing conversation we have had yet with Carol Codwalder, the dismantler of disinformation. We are Deborah Messing and Mandana Dayani, and you have been listening to The Dissenters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. You can go to thedissenters.com to see the full list of our 20 dissenters. We love seeing the support on social, so please tag us at the dissenters, at the real Deborah messing, at Mandana Deani. And please continue sending us suggestions for badass dissenters we should feature. Please tune in next Thursday to meet our next brilliant dissenter. This show is produced by me, Deborah Messing, Mandana Dayani, Erica First, and Dear Media. Our music was written by Brady Cohen, and images were shot by Justin Campbell.